0: you're listening to the fintech podcast in this week's episode we talk to carrie collager president and chief operating officer at Authentics. we cover topics such as leadership identity and verification as well as the future of financial technology really by way of an introduction. Um... A nice starting point uh, w- would be for for you to just sort of a brief overview, introduction to yourself. I guess you know, bringing in that sort of leadership thread. That that's always a sort of important narrative for us, and how that kind of experience has influenced your your work both in the sector and and more recently. Um, if that's okay, as a kind of starter for ten question.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, I um, you know, I've been in the as you know the financial services mm. industry and identity management and actually technology space for over twenty five years and. When I was um, in college, I grew incredibly fascinated with uh, what we called computer information systems at that time, which <laughs> makes me slightly. Um, but nonetheless, it represents exactly what kind of R&D and, and development and engineering represent today. and,
0: mm. and-
1: Candidly, Matthew, like during that time in my career or during that time in my life, like I wasn't as confident um, studying it in college. At the same time, I was like incredibly fascinated with these real-world problems, and okay. you know, there was a, yeah, I mean, and there was there was this moment in my life where I remember that uh, like, you know you got to put the fear aside, and you got to kind of jump into it, and you got to go after your ambitions, and and I and I did that, and it landed me in a place where I got to study computer systems um, in the Mm -hmm. real world with um, some friends of my family who own just a small consulting shop. And that was really the catalyst for me to, you know, bridging my life in technical sales Mm -hmm. to technology and then moving forward, falling into financial services at a place when it was not very sexy. Um, And it (laughs) was just, it wasn't. I mean, it was You (laughs) you think about financial services, you think about big banks (laughs) and you think about you know sure, yeah. investment investment houses and um it was at a time when paypal uh, was just bought by ebay mm. and i started to work with them and became fascinated with the intersection of technology and payments and later on identity but when you you ask a little bit about kind of what influenced that approach and why did i stick with that you know i was um brought up in you know a a privileged home. Um, you know, it wasn't that it was given to my family. They worked really, really hard for that. And they're really big about role modeling, the importance of, you know, living a life in service to others and mm-hmm. living a life of humi- hum- humility and, you know, working for what you have. And so growing up in that environment, um, Irish, German, Italian households. So, you know, take that where you want to as far as um, the type of conversations we had around the dinner table, you know, it was very important for us to um, learn about financial responsibility and the yeah. importance of how yeah. you can solve and help those problems for others. And in doing so, how do you how do you lead a world of change in which um, you can be in service to others? Because that's why mm. you know we chose to get up every day
0: in my family. Mm. Going back to that, those kind of early days, as, as as you were talking about, when you, you know, you sort of took the plunge, as it were, you said, and threw yourself into it, and having that initial, I guess, being a bit hesitant about moving fully into the sector and, and learning and academia and so on. I mean, is, is that kind of spirit or that pioneering spirit something that you've sort of carried through all of your career then? Um, do you think that's really important as a leader and, and, and someone to be successful to, to have that kind of willingness to just go for something? Yeah, I,
1: I absolutely do. I mean, and we all experience that at different times in our lives, like whether it's mm. you know a, a personal event or a, a professional event where you decide like it's better to take the leap than to withhold and wonder and have regrets. And so mm. part of my upbringing, that plunge was um, not wanting to have any regrets in my life. And so, you know, leadership to me has always been a privilege, you know, and it is something that is earned and it, it, It's a fascinating topic because leadership in general, I think, while the foundation of the characteristic of what leadership is Mm. stays tried and true, regardless in the world we were 50 years ago versus the world we are today, whether you're trying to lead in a physical environment versus leading in a virtual environment, which I think is the next kind of challenge for leadership. you know it really does embody certain characteristics and and one is about you know taking leaps of faith and having vision and ambition and having a point of view that an issue that's on the table you know can be solved creatively and i think far too often you know people hold back not believing that they can be part of the change when the reality yep. is yep. someone has to do it so why shouldn't it be you and that was the way that <laughs> i was brought up and that's the way i've led for the last 20 years and Um, I think that's what leadership needs to do today, which is putting yourself aside and taking a lot of risks so you can role model for others that change is possible.
0: I often ask people this when I'm interviewing them and and get different answers, I guess. I mean, do you think that there's anything specific to the financial services industry in terms of leadership or or certainly kind of driving an organization that that perhaps is different to to how you would approach uh, a different industry, a different sector or anything like that? I mean, What are the kind of core drivers in in finance perhaps that shape or mold you as as you progress through a career
1: well uh, i thought i've thought a lot about this question because i've as i said earlier you know it depends on what you believe leadership is and Mm -hmm. i i do believe it is about vision and ambition and Mm -hmm. mobilization and motivation and i i to do that you know it's it it transcends any industry That being said, one aspect of leadership that I don't think we talk enough about is about creating a trusted environment and being a trusted leader. And that is an attribute of leadership that in the financial sector, I think, is really rooted in how can you change an industry that has been so wrought with fraud or speculation or distrust Mm. or and 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 so leading as a trusted individual with a vision of what the future of finance is and a vision of what the future payments could be, I think is incredibly paramount for that, for mm. that sector. Um, you know, at Authentics, and I know we're, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but, you know, when, when we talk about wanting to you know create a more secure and inclusive world where identities can be validated and, and verified and authenticated it's all about trust. It's knowing that who's on the other side of whether it's a Zoom call or it's a payment or it's a transaction. Mm. And and so being a trusted, having a trusted culture and a trusted leader, you know, absolutely has to embody the ethos of what you're trying to sell um, in the market. Does that answer your question, Matthew? It I does. Mean,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, it, it's just one that I, w- I always find quite interesting. Um, I mean, particularly as I, I, I guess, financial services sector and, you know, a lot, a lot of industries that are dealing with and implementing new technology and digital and so on, you know, there's such rapid change. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I assume that comes into to how you approach how you, 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 you your role uh, and how you're a leader and how you approach, how you sort of drive an organisation as well. I mean, does that pace of change, do you think, is it higher than other industries? Uh, where do you think finance is at in, in terms of sort of digital change?
1: I think it depends where in the financial sector you're sure. Sitting. Yeah, if, if, it's, <laughs> if it's in payments, it's very different than where we are. we worth insurance mm. or investments right mm. now. I mean, they're all kind of on different pace of rapid disruption. Um, mm. Payments was the first vertical to fall within the financial sector, as you know. Mm. So, And I also think it depends on what type of entity you're sitting at when you are driving that change. So my experience at PayPal was far different than my experience at Citi. And, and while the need to respond to the the rapid pace of the market was equally as important and you needed to be an agile leader. Like, I mean, that's one thing that, you know, we're talking more and more about and being an agile leader just isn't in how you deliver code. It, it isn't just about how you think. It's also about how you change your organization to mm. evolve and shape what it is you're trying to do. And, and, you know, that has to happen sometimes monthly. It doesn't happen once a year with these, you Know right. big you know, announcements with or changes, and so, um, but I, to answer it directly, I, I think it, with the financial, financial institutions, while you need the adaptability and while you need the um, ability to lead in a rapid world, you also need a quality that a lot of people don't think enough about, which is patience. Um, okay, driving. Driving change in a massive organization, you may have the vision and you may believe you know what's right, supported by market data. But the reality is, is like getting 100,000 or 200,000 people to see that does not happen overnight. And being able to hold that, that almost contradiction of a vision and where the company is and where they need to go and taking smaller steps versus big leaps is a very different quality set, I
0: think. How how do, you, how do you do that, uh, I guess, without <laughs> making that such a, a, a direct question? I, I mean, if you're looking at that, again, you, you talk about that sort of change and that level of change. Uh, how, how do you approach that? How, how is it something that you approach, have approached in the past? I mean, obviously, you have extensive experience of, of, of this and the sector. I mean, how do you approach that and how do you ensure that, that your team and your organization is on board with that change and, and is all driving towards the same goal and same, same target?
1: Um, you know, it's, um, I've learned by having a lot of battle scars, I'll say that, um, where there's been moments where you, know, you have conviction and where your organization or a company needs to head and mm-hmm. you go there too quickly, um, or you go there trying to say, you know you've 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 got the answer well, why can't everybody else come along and you're being someone is actually a resistor versus someone who's you know trying to take the right steps mm-hmm. towards driving change and and through that i've you know it has become about the ability to hold the vision in your head to slowly share it with people who understand kind of the broader intention of every step you take. Mm -hmm. And then the people who don't, you know, to allow them to live in their area where they have the utmost influence and drive them towards where you want to be. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, strategy without execution is pointless um, and execution without strategy is meaningless. And, to have a strategy and then to find ways in which you take small steps that sometimes, you know, are unbeknownst to other people of why you're doing what you're doing as a leader. Um, But it's actually in service to that bigger vision, I think is one of the most important things to do. And, you know, I just got off of a call with um, a woman who's the CEO of a company I'm on the chair. I'm a chairman of, and we were talking about manifesting this notion in the media about where the world of um, uh, valid donations are headed. So how do you verify the need that you, Matthew, um, need free access to maybe healthcare, or you need free access to um, accommodations because you've been hit by COVID and you've lost your job? Like, How do you know that these people who are getting actual goods and services from big brands actually have that need? Because there isn't something like that. and and she's got a vision for actually solving that on a platform base and to creating this need score a verification score that that scores people of their relative needs and trustworthiness and and i said to her i go you know part of this is about you having that point of view and repeating it repeating it repeating it repeating it repeating it and then finding ways in which you can tell that narrative where it resonates with what people do day to day and it's something we did at City for three years, you know, three and right. a half years. When I mean, we joined, we started um, City, which which was the Cint, the City Fintech organization that was really about driving disruption within the large FI, looking mm. for new vectors of growth and putting new product in the market at accelerated pace. What would take five years, we did in five months. Um, you know, we had a very strong view from day one. It took us four years to get there.
0: Right, but well, that's part of the uh, part of the joy of doing the journey, I guess.
1: That's. Part of the joy of doing degree. the journey. <laughs> no, literally, that's why people say, like, it's never about. Is yeah, that a cliche, or is that? Way uh, there.
0: <laughs> is that true, or is is that a cliche? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: it depends on what you have to believe, right? <laughs> I was going to say, I think there's a uh, some sort of mantra I've heard before where um it's something to do with something about you know riding the waves um you mm. know you're reaching the destination but you're actually enjoying the glory of the ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um,
0: i think it's it's easier to say that when you finish the journey probably yeah
1: it is it is (laughs) and and you'll probably appreciate this just having studied the space for so long like having been at paypal at the early days when there was only Mm. a thousand people um and seeing like the potential that this company had to really solve for financial inclusion and Mm. to allow people to be part of a bigger ecosystem that they never would have had the opportunity for. I mean, mm-hmm. P- eBay and and PayPal back in 2002 were just really opening up the world to what was yeah. possible, where people didn't have access to the commerce opportunities for to make a living. And you know, I remember thinking to myself, like, I want to be in my lifetime. I'm going to help change the future of payments. Like, and Pesa came mm-hmm. out in Kenya. You know, I'm like, I'm like, yeah. I'm going to make it happen. And I and I and while I. Feel and I'm honored to have played a role in that. I think you know this is the definition of it. it's a long journey and it probably won't happen mm-hmm. in my lifetime. But there's moments, there's these inflection points like I think with COVID, which really accelerate the the adoption curve. Um, mm-hmm. And we're we're seeing that. I mean, evidentially we're seeing that, which is quite exciting.
0: Referencing PayPal and, and eBay and other other companies that have moved into the the, the payments and the financial sphere. I mean, do, do you think that that's really the, the the future of 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 the sector? Do you, do you think that incumbents? I mean, how how do they manage new players coming into the sector? Big tech companies, you know, organizations that weren't, I guess, traditionally financial services as as perhaps we knew it in a sort of legacy style. Um. Is that just an irreversible trend that that will continue? and do you think that the the ecosystem will broaden with different players and different entrants and so on?
1: Uh, the answer to all that's you know, yes, I do think that it will broaden. I think we're seeing mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. there's I, one of the reasons why I went from an alternative payments provider, which is what PayPal was in the early mm-hmm. days, to the a, a traditional incumbent financial institution was, I felt really strongly that the change in that sector was going to happen through partnerships that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you're trusting your money and trusting your data, you want to trust that as a consumer to a brand, you know, versus a brand that you don't know. And, and that's a lot of reasons why at least up until recently, when we were at City and in, in the FI, we looked at all of these disruptors. Well, the, the technology was tremendous. And we would benefit hugely from a partnership, which is really what our mantra was is you know, partner by then build versus you know, build by then partner, um, which was traditionally, you know, the mindset um, in the large institutions, is we we started to realize that where we had scale and we had consumer brand recognition and trust. So there was still, I think a study I did about two years ago, you know, 70% of consumers would still trust their bank more with their data than other unknown brands. What we didn't have was the innovation. And what we didn't have was the new ways in which you engage with your customers and channels um, using their, you know, information or signals to make it a personalized experience. And so, I do think Matthew, the convergence of the two is what's going to drive the most disruption, and I and I also believe that if you take signs from what's happened around the globe, is none of us can ignore, and I think it's mm-hmm. more and more prevalent, um, particularly in Asia, where you know, payments and FI is getting embedded in your day to day experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, that you don't. I, I've I've talked a lot about payments becoming an invisible transaction that happens behind the scenes because through the use right. of you know, these lifestyle experiences, the use through this, you know, massive shift to, you know, to digital and the fact that, you know, there's there's logic and algorithms and machine learning that can detect that you, Matthew, you know, use cash or credit card for this type mm-hmm. of transaction. They're not even gonna ask you unless there's some sort of risk trigger. Um, you know, you're gonna see, this is why you see Amazon and Apple and others that can naturally get into the space that sure. never could before.
0: But I mean, that, that's really also, like you say, it, I mean, that's consumer driven to a degree, right? Because do, do you agree with that? that? That it's largely kind of led, I guess, by our changing behavior, well, the, the way that we, in, yeah, our behavior and the yeah. way that we interact with technology and the way we need and consume technology?
1: Yeah, I do agree with that. But I also think, to for these you know incumbent institutions to play a role right. in that, they've had to change the way they're, their their policies, they've had to change, you know, how do they go from a closed network to an open network in a secure and safe way? While still maintaining their obligations with regulation and the regulators and with um, the laws? How do they move from being, you know, a very antiquated technology stack to one that has open APIs? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you've written about that and it's something you know, we did at city, which was a huge mind shift because it changes the way that uh, the company thinks about information flow and thinks mm. about access levels and thinks about risk tolerance. And you, know, you look at what's what happened in Australia with their whole open initiative, open banking initiative, which is just beyond banking. If you remember, it was also about mm. utilities and telco and all the types of services that consumers consume. And, Um, I think that has been a huge catalyst to drive the partnership adoption that's been needed.
0: That's great. I mean, uh, uh, we should move on to uh, identity uh, and verification. Um, This
1: is so fun. (laughs) It
0: it is. I I feel I've asked you uh, certainly enough questions on leadership. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Unless we can find another way to feed that back in. I mean, I guess... uh, the, the idea of identity verification, certainly from my perspective, and security and privacy, that all feeds into what we were talking about there with, with consumer demand, how we use technology, and also how banks have to react to that, right? So, but maybe uh, as a starting point, could you kind of just introduce Authentics? I got it right. I hope I did. You Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really. Uh, I guess the sort of genesis behind that and how the company has evolved as 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 the industry and the sector has evolved as a kind of starting point.
1: Yeah. So, um, Authentics is, has a bit of an interesting story. So, um, you know, our headline is identity intelligence. Um, mm-hmm. Effectively, that you know we've been doing ID verification and authentication for over ten years, um, and as the sector has expanded in what does that mean beyond a government issued id and mm-hmm. how do you bind you know biometrics as well as third party data sources and other types of techniques to validate that you are who you say you are you know clearly we've started to expand in that space as well What's unique about the company, um, in addition to it being one hundred percent automated, um, which was one and just a great technology stack, which is one of the reasons why I joined, is it actually started out in the airport control um, and border controls, so airport security and border control area back in oh, okay. the nineteen hundreds. Hundreds, yeah. Can you imagine being around? That? No, <laughs> in that, the nineteen nineties. So their their parent company is actually still in a space, and so is. The um, management team started to see a shift from physical IDs to moving in the digital sphere, and I think you know, with our one of our first clients that forced us to move us into the cloud back in the early two thousands, um, that really was the catalyst for us. And mm. our whole intention is you know, verifying consumers' identities um, so that businesses can provide safer and secure services.
0: Um, okay, yeah.
1: and. We spent um, a lot of our customers have come from uh, the tech space, um, yeah. a lot of <clears throat> names and brands that, you know, but we have also clearly gone into FI and FinTech and other areas where, um, again, I think you've you know this this pandemic that we're up against has just created another acceleration point for a lot of companies to not just recognize their need to be able to perform all their services digitally online and do verification online that may have happened in a branch, but you know also has opened up new sectors, Matthew, that I always thought was ripe for disruption, but now it's happening a lot sooner than I thought it would, healthcare and right. education and content. Uh,
0: interesting, isn't it? And, and I guess, uh, like you say, we, we, with that shift to everything being online, it, is identity verification, digital identity, I mean, I guess that will just be prevalent everywhere. Is is is, is that the way it's going? I mean, surely yes, right?
1: Surely, surely <laughs> yes. I mean, if you uh, think about everything you do every day, like you got up this morning, you know, what did you do yeah. this morning? You...
0: Uh, well, I, if, as as someone else in the company will watch this, I will say I've worked since the moment I've been awake. But uh, <laughs> 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 uh, I logged on my phone. Uh, I did check my bank yeah. uh, all of those require uh, identity of some sort.
1: Education. Um, yeah. It's exact that's exactly it. And now you've moved think about education.
0: Mm. So
1: now you've moved an entire sector <clears throat> online for a period of time that mm. probably won't totally go away and you know you ask yourself uh, when these kids take their test when people submit work for their college like how do you know that person actually did the work and then actually, you know, they're the person submitting the work? Healthcare is just, you know, I've become obsessed with over the last couple couple months because as I've had to go to doctors, you know, I've had situations where my experience is I get a text to sign up for a Zoom session. The Zoom session doesn't verify who I am. I speak right. to the doctor I've never seen before. I don't know if the doctor is actually a credible doctor, okay, so mm. it's that level um, they give me a diagnosis. They send me a prescription. I sign, up, sign on to my, you know, um, pharmacy. I say, I want to pick up my prescription. I pick up my prescription. No one along that path asked me to verify who I am. No one. Mm, that's and i yeah. over-the-counter gr- drugs. Um, mm. And granted, it was prescribed to me, but, <laughs> but you know, I, I look at that. And then I take the next scenario, which I've, you know, recently had, I had to go to the physician and Again, I did the entire patient check-in experience digitally. They did ask for my ID, they did ask for my insurance card, but there was no validation, <clears throat> it, Matthew. Sure. And so then you tie that, you bind it to a payment, you know, because I have to pay for that service yeah. somehow, whether it's verification of the health the health insurance I have or it's a copay that I have to make or outright cash. And that that entire experience is all about who I am and what I'm good for and what I have access to. And so those are just two industries let alone multitude of other ones that have now moved into mm. the digital sphere
0: I, because the way you you describe it and you, you see the chain there of, of not being validated along that chain that 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 is it that it's taken for granted is it that that organizations or industries don't know enough to be able to implement proper identity checks is it that that we should also play a part as as the consumer or or the person on the other side of the interaction or it seems a level of it's just not thought about enough. I, I, levels of know. Naiv-
1: naivety, yeah, <laughs> I do. I, I think there's a combination of levels. Like one, you know, you don't have um, regulation in some of these industries. You haven't had to have regulation in some mm. of the industries that are forcing service providers to understand what's at risk by not doing this. So that's one. I think secondarily you know, in at least the world we've been living in the last four to six months, it's, it's more about survival. You know, you've had these very antiquated industries that have quickly become digital. And so how do you do that as quickly as possible? Um, and sometimes that comes at the risk of not knowing the risk that you're assuming. And um, and then the third thing, I, I do think it's about um, consumer education. And this is where I would tie it to you know financial literacy like for years mm. and years and years um particularly in the u.s but even globally you look at the stats that you know the next generation beyond us are more financially literate than their previous generation and part mm. of that is because of self-learning and 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 that has posed some challenges particularly as we've experienced a couple of recessions now in in our lifetime where you know how do people manage their money more effectively and make decisions i think it's around what do you do with your identity and what do you what do you do with your data and even in just you know the last I think the last couple months you know there's we've seen a you know upwards of 20 to 30 percent an increase in fraud activity or identity theft and that's a combination of more people being online so there's more penetration points Um, but it's a combination of more things being offered online that aren't going through the verification process and so you know whether it's now or quickly in the future you know this is this is a sector that has effectively just been pushed into the
0: spotlight Mm. it's really true when you think about it and 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 all of those various interactions that you have uh, the number of times that you are asked to verify yourself or or have some kind of validation of that a a few certainly few from from my perspective Um, yeah it's almost as if we all rely on, like, like you say, the naivety or or, or the trust factor um, that it's just okay. Which, I guess, if you're shifting about to financial services, is is particularly kind of perplexing, maybe, given that it's an industry that that's kind of built on trust, or, or certainly should be built on trust. I mean, how how does that sort of identity, and not I would say identity crisis, is not so much a crisis, is it? But that that sort of <laughs> naivety and and maybe not dealing with it in the most efficient way. How has that kind of played out? for FI, for example?
1: Well, I, I think because <coughs> of regulation around KYC and EKYC, that there's been forms and, and, and fractions of that. Um, but there's always been this question, and particularly when I was at all the companies I've been at, which is you verify somebody for the first time, like to create an account. Um, and it's always been synonymous with that. And so you check box, you meet the regulations. So you've either managing risk, you're managing compliance, you're trying to strive for growth, which means your 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 appetite for risk may be a bit higher, um, or you need experience, right? And it's kind of those those four areas that you're constantly trying to balance because if you in, in, introduce too much friction into the processes, you know, you know, you, you mm. put too much downward pressure on the experience, which don't get people through the funnel and. And so in the financial sector, back to your question, you know, it was this one-time event where you verified who you were. And the reality is, is it's, it's no longer that it's who I was when I opened up an account at my financial institution 20 years ago is very mm. different than who I am now. Um, sure. And in my life, it may be you know, I've got a little bit more money in the account and, you know, I'm still, you know, a, a trusted person and I'm still suitable for these services, but that's not the case. We all go through these ups and downs. And so this mm-hmm. need for continuous verification is becoming more and more pronounced. And so then the question ends up becoming, I think for not just the financial sector, but for all sectors is what and when do you prompt a consumer to interact, give yep. you more information yep. or to opt in with more consent versus what can happen behind the scenes that is much more passive in nature? That you're continually getting verified, um, so you're, and your identity isn't at risk without you having to interact. And where do we find comfort in comfort in that? You know, ultimately, mm. when it comes down to our own behavioral information, because you know, as you said, like trustworthiness is paramount to success, and that trust halo whether it's a financial institution or whether it's Airbnb or whether it's Uber you go goes much further beyond than just um, the one-time event.
0: Yeah, sure. And, and, uh, you know, talking about when you set up a bank account uh, I mean, I know I've, changed certainly since that's happened I've probably got less money I think but I mean <clears throat> do, do you think that is it important then that uh, identity as a concept is treated more kind of fluidly uh, is it that it's often set very rigidly from when you establish your identity for example with that institution or that that organization or that company that you work with
1: um, I absolutely do. I mean, I I I do think identity is fluid. And mm. I think identity is contextual. And mm. I, I think identity changes based on the conditions in in what you're trying to achieve. And it I think it sounds odd for somebody who's always associated identity to be gender based or national based or whatever is on your national identity card, mm. but you know, identity, in my view, takes many different forms. I mean, who you are when you're interviewing me, Matthew, is probably very different than who you are when you're <laughs> um, off. You've, right You've seen right yeah, through. You've seen right through me. <laughs> 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 i got this special technology right now, you know, it's kind of characteristics of who you are based on your facial um, So, but, but someone said that to me once. They said, you know, when you, you get up and go to work, is different than when you're at home and vice versa. And it's not that, you know, the essence of who you are changes, but, you, your intentions change and what's important changes. And if you go to yeah. a bar, like, you know, you need to know you're over 21 in some states or countries and over 18 in some others. And why do you need to know everything else about you? So I I, I do think it's fluid and, and it changes and the signals around you, you know, are much more robust than they've mm. ever been. And so, you know, I, I'll give you an, a specific example. You know, I have a family member of mine who you went through a, a difficult divorce, and mm-hmm. um, that came <clears throat> some changes to their their credit score and what they ha- could access. This is a really good person who's made good money, who has mm-hmm. done really wonderful things, and a bad relationship put her in a situation where she could mm-hmm. no longer have the credit to continue to support herself. And I think what a shame because you know it's again the context of her life, not something that got caught in a risk model that was very stagnant and not dynamic and yeah. you're seeing that now with you know the gig economy um and the self employed like they're having a hard time getting access to the types of financial services uh, you know, what their lifestyle and that's not, that shouldn't be the mm. case
0: no no and it's uh, i mean we're getting quite conceptual about identity which is great it's really interesting but the, the way you talk about it being so fluid and and I guess if you take the work analogy to being at home you know how, how i interact with my bank for example the, compared to as i do with with other kind of consumer sites or something like that is is very different as well but does that mm-hmm. add uh, i mean i guess that that adds a massive layer of complexity in terms of managing that data about you because it, does the data almost have to be siloed because for example one interaction with my bank about a mortgage may be very different to how I uh, interact about uh, some other financial activity or something. So is, is there a real complexity there of managing data about people so that you can verify that that identity, if my question um, makes sense?
1: It does make sense, although I, I would challenge your position that it should be siloed. I actually right. think that how we do this is in a very integrated, secure manner. Hmm. The recent pandemic and highlight a lot of structural inadequacies in how we manage, use, verify, and monitor identities. And you know, one of that you know effectively includes identity verification and, and making sure that you can combat the fraudsters. And to do that, fraudsters play on. Siloed bits of information. Right. And 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 so they penetrate one organization, they pull some information, they penetrate another because, you know, 40 percent of the people actually use the same password or some derivative of the password, as you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think LinkedIn two years ago saw that when they had a data breach, like it was just unbelievable how consistent these passwords were. But they're able to achieve their end state with you know, financial crimes or defrauding because they integrate all of the information together that gives them a whole complete picture of the person. And so yeah. we need to do the same when we're looking at people's identities and then managing and masking those identities. Um, and so I, I, I think it's actually breaking down the silos and where the uh, challenge and the complexity comes that you mentioned is, um one through storage and ensuring privacy and encryption of the information, mm. um, two for how do you educate, you know, end consumers on how that information is used and what rights they should have. I mean, at the end of the day, no company should own your data. You should own your data and mm. choose how it's used to better your life. Um, and you know, how do how does the consumer or does the end consumer need to understand the different types of fraud Mm -hmm. out there? Like one of the types of fraud that is emerging is synthetic fraud. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Well, it's, it's the fastest, it's the fastest growing financial fraud. And effectively what fraudsters do is they take real IDs and they change just one element of the ID. Mm -hmm. And so when you you, you submit it to open up an account, like you you can't detect that it's a fake ID because it has a real address and may have a real person's picture, but it had the document numbers that's changed. Yeah, and I so see. it's, you know, there's about $40 billion that are lost in the market to identity fraud and synthetic fraud. And so they're getting so sophisticated. So the question ends up becoming, what's the technology, what is the systematic approach in which you can combat that to protect mm. individuals. And um that that complexity raises but just again back to the financial sector finance is complex and so how do you make it simple for people to actually benefit from it it's it's the same when it comes to identity
0: Mm. i think the the consumer side is an interesting one because again you know we we come back to trust if you're going to build that trust uh, how much do you do you let people Control their data or have knowledge of their data and how it's being used. I mean, what 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 are your thoughts on that?
1: So, uh, so what is my what is my your question was what is my view on privacy and security? Correct. Mm. Um, I think you can have both. I am of a believer that uh, every individual should own their own data. Um, should choose how it's used should be informed when it will be used should have to opt in um, into the consent to it being used whether it's a particular brand or a a brand um, working with a consortium to solve maybe a fraud issue or some or improve an experience you have Mm -hmm. Um, but that that layers on a number of technology challenges Um, Mm -hmm. how do you do that and you know, one of the things that has often been thought about is it, you know, is it the technology to solve that problem or is it adoption of existing technology to solve the problem? You know, there's been a lot of discussion, as you know, of blockchain, um, mm-hmm. in the last five to seven years, I have always been a believer in the notion of a distributed ledger and, mm-hmm. and using hashes to encrypt data so that they can't be associated with individuals. I don't necessarily think you need the blockchain to do that. Um, Although I have thought that either cross-border payments or identity were the perfect use cases on a blockchain, particularly because mm-hmm. of the the importance of the transactions as well as the data, um, but you know the technology actually exists to do the types of things that we need to. Um, sure. it's it's more about business adoption and consumer adoption, and, and quite frankly, partnership adoption.
0: Okay, it leads quite nicely on to adoption. I, I I guess I'm always interested in in uptake and adoption, as you say. I mean. Uh, you know, with with some technology disruption or, or evolution of technology, there there can be resistance, or, or or perhaps that change management process is always not necessarily seamless. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, is this something that that organisations know they need to do? Is it is it something that they know they need to get better and they're open to partnerships and collaboration? I mean, maybe it's more of a kind of context question, isn't it? But but where is the industry at in terms of really? getting getting involved with with making sure that their id verification is is top notch
1: um i think we're we're much further along than we were 2 years ago um okay. you know, and and there's a couple of reasons for that one um you know the fraudsters have becoming full force and mm. you you look at some of the security research you know out there and the number of people that have had their identity stolen. I mean it's some of you sometimes you don't even know that aspects of your identity have been stolen Mm -hmm. and an identity being in this context like your personal information identifiable Mm -hmm. information. Um and so companies had been forced to do that. I think also there's this recognition that no one company is going to solve the identity verification issue. I mean, it's just, it's, it's yeah. too big of a complex problem for one company to solve. It's, it's, and I I was really excited by the announcement just when going through COVID of seeing Google and, and Apple come together for the first mm-hmm. time and you to, to solve for contact tracing. And, you know, there's a lot of debate around privacy and a lot of debate around, Um, you know, how do you actually leverage that platform? And I think fast forward, I'm not sure how much success has happened with their intention of coming together and having people build apps on top of that. It bodes a whole nother set of, I think, monitoring and policy questions around it. But the idea of when you have to solve these problems that are greater than one person or one company, it forces those partnerships. And it's the same with identity verification. Um, There's so many different types of, you know, creating, managing, the identity online that you have to bring the right partners together. Um, and that's happening now. And I think in, 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 Europe, not, I think I know in Europe, you see a lot of movement with um, ID consortiums. So mm-hmm. bank ID, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the U S you're starting to see more and more of that play out as well. And part of it is built on these stats of, you know consumers believing that you know whether it's 50 or 60 percent of their time like they would trust you know their banks with with their data and so then what does that look like when there are untrusted brands and industries that they have so we're going to see more and more partnerships there's no doubt in my mind
0: sure and and and, and i guess it kind of feeds into partnerships where if we were to make the distinction, say between fintechs, uh, let's say startups, innovative, smaller, you know, challenger banks, neobanks, things like that, and incumbent organisations, I mean, you know, it, it's it's a relatively kind of common narrative that that there's a distinct advantage in technology use uh, and positioning with incumbents, sometimes having legacy systems or or maybe being slower to take on new technology. Is that something that that you sort of see? In the ID verification sphere, um, is there an advantage between being a big tech company, say, coming into the into the payment sector uh, as opposed to being uh, uh, an incumbent with with legacy infrastructure or or, or you know outdated systems? Uh, and would a partnership solve that? I, I, I guess maybe. And is that the sort of partnership that you were to, you were meaning?
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh, so where mm. I earlier in our discussion where I mm. would state that. The fintechs and the incumbents coming together will drive the true disruption um, um, because of scale and and globality and then because of technology and innovation and and experience. In the identity space, it's a little bit different in my mind um, that when you're dealing with uh, the type of information and the different ways of encrypting it, um, you tend to find people who have more experience with that you know, having a stronger um, position of influence and in driving. it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of startups in the identity space right now, mm-hmm. Matthew, as you can imagine, I mean, it's a growing mm-hmm. sector, you know, I think I saw a stat the other day that like by 2025, there's like, going to be a $33 billion market and it's, you know, yeah. you know, growing yeah. in, like a 16% K or something like that. But I do, you know, there's, it's incredibly capital intensive. Number one, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: number two is, you know, Building the deep neural networks and the, you know, the machine learning. Um, well, so there's going to be more the B2B players that I think are disruptive in the identity okay. space. I, I do believe, and, and based on what I see, if you look at Apple or Google, and Google's even had some announcements, I think, with a partnership with Qualcomm or Telco or something like that, um, where they're binding the identity to the actual device that because they have reach and mass, they're gonna play a, a big, big role in there. But mm. to them to do that, to do IDV, they don't have that experience. And mm-hmm. so they're gonna mm-hmm. have to partner. Now, is it mm-hmm. gonna be with a small fintech that's been around for years or a fintech that's been around for 10 years? I know where I would put my bets. Um, yeah. So I think that's a little bit of the difference of you know in the fintech space, you saw a lot of disruption that was able to, I don't wanna say circumvent, um, you know, policies and regulation, but because they flew under the radar for a while, you yeah, know, yeah. they were able to do that.
0: Okay, cool. Um, we haven't really talked about technology much, and and I, I wanted to. Um, I mean, I, it's quite broad, but I guess maybe if we're taking now as a starting point, I mean, what what, what for you are the kind of key technologies or, or real big innovations or trends that, that you think will really shift... The space over over the next few years and, and and what have really driven the most change in in IDV and, and and this kind of area?
1: I think there's some knowns that we all know.
0: Right? Yeah. So
1: we wouldn't be able to do this if we didn't have, you know, heavy cloud computing. We wouldn't mm. be able to do this if um, we didn't have advanced encryption techniques like we do mm. now. Um, we wouldn't be having these conversations if um, there wasn't an openness to distributed led- ledgers and how you deal with big data problem sets. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there's there's two that, one has been around for a while that I've just familiarized myself with over the last two years, that I do think is going to be a game changer. And another one is being used now. And I can give an example of how we use it internally. So the the one that you know I do think will be a game changer is zero knowledge proof, which is effectively saying, you know, through the use of a set of information based on that use case, this gets into, again, identity being fluid. Mm -hmm. There is a third party who can verify that say, Matthew, you're over 18 and therefore are able to do X, Y, and Z. And they Mm -hmm. can do that without sharing where you live, where you're from, your name, you know, your your social behavior, your financial behavior, all those things that tend to be binded to one answer. And that is... Why I think that's interesting and it it in the technology is interesting is because it ends up de-risking how you use information for a particular a particular use case. So saying I'm 18 and I can I can do something versus you know, saying I'm 40 and I'm able to secure a mortgage, you know, require different levels of information to be shared and different types of third parties to validate mm-hmm. it. And so that to me, I think is gonna it's gonna be really interesting as we move forward. The other aspect of it is, you know, hashing effectively, which, you know, you know, is, as you know, is a powerful technique in where you can encrypt data structures, you know, mathematically and organize them much easily, much more Mm. easily and effectively, you know, with the new type of hashing techniques that exist today, you can't reverse engineer them. And so one of the things that we actually just launched um, about a week or two ago was um, a platform called Instinct, which was all around adaptive behaviors and analytics where we would effectively be able to look at an ID, like a, you know, a, a government ID, we would do a couple hashes on that data, we would remove any access to that raw data, so we no hmm. longer keep that on file, but within that hash now, we're able to see if that ID with the, all those specific criteria and attributes come up in other ecosystems and partners. And if it does okay. and there's a conflict, so if that ID comes up and the document number is different, we can actually tag it to say this is synthetic fraud. This is a fraudster. They got through your front door over here and you're, mm. you know customer, but we found them over here, we're going to retroactively tell you to stop servicing them to ensure that you mitigate fraud. And those hashing techniques allow you to do that now, um, which just open up, I think, and I think open up the funnel for a lot more opportunity for us to solve for fraud where we couldn't before.
0: Right. It's this is fascinating stuff. Carrie, I'm getting a bit uh, nervous. We're getting up to the hour and uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. (laughs) I mean, I, I I don't want to take up too much more of our time and go too beyond the hour, but I, I'm I'm really interested because, and again, it may be a bit conceptual because we were talking about that uh, a little bit. But I mean, what what where do you see IDV going? I mean, what 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 the the, the perfect system, if if indeed it can even be reached uh, perfection, what does that look like in terms of an ecosystem, in terms of how perhaps different industries or or different organizations that we interact with look like i mean c- can you build one i guess complete identity of a person that 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 can be used in 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 such a way across everything i i, I don't know maybe i'm getting a bit conceptual but but do you see where i'm sort of going with the the, the future what what's what would be the ultimate i guess in terms of real security and idv
1: yeah, I mean, you're you're talking about the utopia <laughs> have utopia got another here. Um, five
0: or ten hours? <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, everybody's trying to crack that problem, <laughs> I mean, so I'm not going to even attempt to do that in the next <laughs> minute. Um, but I, you know, someone once said to me, "What does the world look like without a a, a physical physical issued identity? Like, mm. what does that look like? And how do the 1.7 billion people in the world who don't have a nationally issued ID?" engage, um, mm. in the world around them. Mm. And, and this then I think pose, and this is conceptual as well Is I, I, I actually believe there's a bigger discussion to be had, which is about when the convergence of identity and payments in behavioral data gets to a point where it's real, you're talking about access, Matthew, like you're yeah. talking about, you know, getting permission or entitlements to access your money, to access mm. your home, you know, in Hong Kong, mm. as you know, you know, you've got octopus that effectively is the same card to pay that allows mm-hmm. you to get into your home that allows you to pull money from the teller. Yeah. And, and so, you know, access to things that you should be suitable for and things that you shouldn't like it ends up allowing you to protect yourself against yourself sometimes, particularly mm-hmm. when you're trying to manage spend and things like that. And, and I don't, I don't ever believe there'll be one system. You, you mm-hmm. can't, there's too much inherent risk by creating one system. If that system is ever breached, like, you can't recover yeah. from that. And, yeah. I, and I think a lot about that with biometrics right now, which is a topic we didn't discuss. Like I do, biometrics is, a, a, is another layer of technology in my view that has been a catalyst for verification. Um, Because at the end of the day, like I, I could have an identity, but it doesn't mean that identity belongs to me. That identity maybe make me permissible to certain things, but that's not actually me. Um, mm. It may be legit. But yet biometrics is interesting because biometrics like you you can't reverse engineer a breach of that like you can change your password you can't you can't change your you know your face face schematics and the mathematical Mm -hmm. vectors that are created by verifying who you are and so you know i've i've started to really believe in the idea of distributed information and also layered information like i i think replacing your password on your phone with your 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 you know your fate the face a selfie or your fingerprint is actually wrong it's like just replacing the password issue i mean yes. i think it has yeah, to be yeah. a combination yeah. of what are you trying to do it's got to be randomized and it's got to be layered depending on the risk um yeah. and that's how you you know can ensure that you know you aren't having identity fraud um and so it's you know it's, it's a little bit more tactical question to your or answer to your question matthew but i I do think of a world where, you know, IDs are issued. Um, they aren't physical, but they mm. still have the same characteristics of having third party validation. And you you see that in the Middle East now. You you see that in cashless societies now. Um, but again, it's cr- ensuring the integrity of what something has given to you that identifies who you are and who proves that who you are. That is going to be the big challenge for us.
0: Sure. We've worked through all of the points that I kind of had. Um, I mean, I know I, I appreciate we've, we've probably scratched the surface on a lot of them and, and we could go into far more detail, which may be something that I'd like to pick up with you separately. carry oh, after yeah. this. Um yeah. It's been really fascinating. Um it, It's been a fascinating call. Um, I mean, are you happy we've kind of covered everything? I, I don't want to leave any kind of big black holes of anything that's really crucial that, that I guess formed part of that discussion. Um Yeah. Yeah.
1: Look, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a deep, robust topic, you know, yeah, and yeah. I think it's one that's just on the edge of getting a lot more attention as we go forward. Yeah. Almost where FinTech was five years ago mm. um, and then how that has become at the forefront mm. of a lot of change and news. So, um, no, I, I appreciate the conversation. I, I'd love to continue having the discussion with you. I think that as you take sector by sector.